Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. I was in Kazakhstan a week ago, and I thought after getting back from that, I might need a little bit of time to recuperate before uh, before that goes. So I asked Dr. David McNeely to come and speak to us this morning. Uh, he's not really a doctor. It's David McNeely. He's on our teaching team, and uh, he has served in student ministry. He's recently transitioned just over the last year out of student ministry, but uh, for 20 years, he was involved in student ministry, so he has quite a bit of knowledge in the area of students. And so, um, David, why don't you come on up here, and let me say a word of prayer for you, and I'll hand it over. Heavenly Father, thank you for David. I pray that you would uh, speak through him this morning, uh, Lord, and just guide us by your word, your, your spirit, his experience, and the things that you've uh, spoken to him throughout the years in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Bro. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I tell this to students every time. I've got a, I was here last week with students. The week before that, I'll be here tonight again with students, and I tell them every time. Coming in here into this facility and working with students and parents is like coming home. And that's what I really feel is uh, um, I enjoy preaching. That's fun, um, but I really love working with students. And that still is not out of my system. <laughs> I doubt that it will be for for many years to come. So thanks for letting me come in here, crash your party. You get the B team today, but I appreciate you letting me uh, be in here. Hey, I want to talk this morning uh, about teen sexuality. And I, and I want to give you a heads up. Um, it, nothing in here discussed this morning will be X-rated. Um, this will be uh, family-friendly that we'll have. Um, I actually thought about showing you a video, and then uh, after watching the video in its uh, entirety, um, I just made the decision, you know, that, that probably, that, I'll just talk to you about the video as opposed to showing you what it is. But it was a Dateline show that came on uh, not too terribly long ago. And uh, it, it talked about something that got forwarded to me by uh, my wife. Uh, one of her friends had given it to her and said, what is going on with this? And, and basically, here's what the, the gist of the article is. There's a particular young man who has a stage name by the name of James Dean, D-E-E-N. And uh, that's obviously not his real name. Uh, he is in the adult uh, porno uh, industry. And uh, he um, is gathering a large following of uh, younger audience. And the disturbing trend that the whole show talks about, I would encourage you to go and watch it one day if you would, uh, if that would be suitable for you. Uh, that would be all right. Again, there's, there's nothing, uh, no images in there that, that um, would cause you to stumble, I wouldn't say. But... Um, uh, but the disturbing thing about it was is the number of teenage girls that are following him religiously. And uh, in the article, or the, the show goes on to, to talk about this and the numbers of it, the girls. It's, um, it's really kind of mind-blowing um, when I got a chance to, to look at that and see that. And so it, it stirred up in me um, this desire and this yearning to talk. And in fact, I think we even have some of the quotes that, uh, that's in there. Um, they couldn't interview the girls that are under 18 because it's illegal uh, to, for them to view it, so uh, they couldn't even talk to these girls in person. But look at that bottom quote there. I would like to think that I'm opening up their sexual experience and being able to, they'd be able to take their boyfriends and say, hey, I saw this in a porno. I want to try this. All right, now, when you hear things like that, um, if you have a child that has uh, gone through perimeter school, 
and now they're into a public school, then probably what you're thinking right now is, oh my goodness, this is just the majority of students in public schools. If I were to ask you right now, do you think the trend has gotten better or it has gotten worse in terms of teenage sexuality? And let's just take the year that I graduated high school, which was 1988. Off the top of your head, would you say that things have gotten better or would you say have gotten more? Or let, me, let me say define better and worse, meaning better I would be defining as they are less promiscuous and, uh, and, and, and uh, less frequency, et cetera, less students involved in sexual activity. Would you say that that's been the case or would you say that it's gotten worse, meaning that more students are involved and, uh, and it's more promiscuous? Just off the top of your head, what would you say? Most of us would say worse, right? I heard one person at least say less. I want to just read this to you. CDC, this was just last year in 2011, says this. Statistically, 68% of boys and 67% of girls between the ages of 15 and 17 have never had sexual intercourse. The new data also shows overall sexual contact trends are also moving in the right direction. With 53% of boys and 58% of girls ages 15 to 17 reporting they have never had any kind of sexual relations with any partner. Just in 2002, the numbers have trended upward when only 46% of boys and 49% of girls reported no sexual contact meaning that just since 2002, the numbers are getting better. There are less students that are involved. There are more students that are saying no. Now, I won't bore you with a whole lot of numbers and statistics, but what I can tell you is this. When I was in high school in 1988, my last year, my senior year, well over half the students involved um, uh, in there were having regular sexual activity. That is just not the case anymore. According to to much more rigorous research, and I'll let you determine what it is you want to do with this research. I just found a blogger not too long ago with this, um, uh, this particular individual was saying that I don't believe any of these numbers from the CDC. They're all skewed, and so, I, you know, um, I'll, I'll let you make your de determination on that. What I can tell you is the same numbers from the CDC in 1988 are, are telling us that numbers are getting better. Students are choosing to be less involved, and they're choosing to wait in order to get involved. Now, again, I won't bore you with all the numbers here, but I want you to focus in on this one. In just a minute, we're going to have a staff member come, and she's going to share her story. And, and I want to just kind of prime the pump uh, here just a little bit. I want you to think about this. Look. Students reporting those, that it's, it's the majority of students that are not involved in any sexual activity. So just know that. And we're talking about public high school campuses here, those evil institutions. The majority are not doing it. Do you know why the majority of them say they're not involved in it? Religious or moral convictions prevent me from doing so. Now, one of the things that concerns me, I'm in here, according to the same research here in the CDC, one of the conclusions that they're coming to is that we have to rethink what we're doing with the abstinence-based education. Now, when I say rethink, this is what I mean. Abstinence-based sex education is working. It, it, it's working for us, and yet the funding is being stripped from it. So we have, uh, for example, Mary Catherine Blaine, who is here um, at our church, who's been doing this for 20 years. 
And it wasn't too terribly long ago. She lost her federal grant. She came to us. She said, is there any way we, you can help here? And we plugged her in with a ministry called Segway. You've heard about Segway before. Segway is now offering it free of charge into schools within our area. So right here in the Atlanta area, uh, we're saying, hey, we're seeing something that's working for students who would claim to have a walk with God and other students who would not claim to have any walk with God whatsoever. We're seeing that the numbers are good. They're improving. Things are working here. So we have her um, going around free of charge for the schools uh, to be able to maintain this in in our school systems. If it's true that the majority of students are saying, we're going to choose to wait, we're going to choose to hold off, we're going to choose to make some decisions right now that would be, in our minds, sacrificial because of religious and moral convictions. Can I ask you the question? This is where I want to end, and we'll pick up our time after that, but I want to end. What are you doing to talk to your kids about sex? Here's what I know. 20 years in youth ministry, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, students who grow up in church know what not to do. It is a much smaller percentage of them, though, that know what to do. What are you talking to them about? How are you equipping them to handle this whole thing called teen sexuality? We'll hand it over to you and let her, or Jeff, I'm sorry, Jeff's going to. Part of the reason for Parent You is that we uh, can come together and you get to know the staff. You kind of know who to connect with on a certain issue, uh, and it just helps you in that way as well. So uh, I've asked Jessica on our junior high staff to come and share a little bit about who she is and what she does on staff with the junior high ministry. And one thing she probably won't share with you, one thing about Jessica that I want to share is she is an incredibly deep thinker. And that's one of the things that attracted us to her when we were interviewing her is when we talk to her about ministry and about some subject that comes up in there, I know she's going to go away and she's going to spend a lot of time focused on that and thinking deeply about it. And she always comes back and, and surprises me with the things that she has thought, because I usually, I'm, I'm kind of shallow, okay? And so I'm shallow, I don't think deeply about things, and she goes and comes back and mines some stuff that I never would have thought of, and so I just really appreciate about that, about her, so. Um, well, my name is Jessica Hamilton. It used to be Jessica Horn about three months ago. I just got married in December. I have been on, a little bit about me, just so you, just so you know, the recent past, I just got married a few months ago. I came on staff uh, about a year and a half ago. I have been working with middle school girls and volunteers, both at the Brooks and in discipleship. Uh, that's sort of a twofold of my job. The other twofold of it is that I help out with logistics and I help out uh, with the uh, middle school girls themselves. And I'm going to sit down. My heart is is for ministry. A little bit about my story is I grew up in Charlotte. Um, I went to Charlotte Christian School. It was a K-12 Christian private school. It was a lot like what maybe PCS or Wesleyan would be. And I grew up in a church, a large church called Calvary, and I grew up in their youth ministry. I experienced a large middle school ministry, a large high school ministry. And through those experience, I felt, experiences, I felt called to invest in people's lives in the same way that a lot of women invested in my life. And 
that's a brief version of my testimony. Um, but when I came on staff here, um, I just realized that uh, middle school girls need someone to tell them that uh, they're beautiful. Uh, they need someone to tell them that God loves them. And in my heart for them is just to help them uh, listen to each other, to help them get to know each other, to help them um, grow in relationship with each other, with, with God and themselves. And um, that's just what I've been uh, doing for the last uh, year and a half. Um, and that's sort of a flyover of everything, but um, that's my story. So, yeah. Just quick side note, um, love her. Got to meet her uh, when she came on staff. We got a chance to talk. I would totally agree with Jeff. It was uh, one of those conversations. But I'm even less, the more shallow than Jeff is on there. So once you get to a conversation that goes past sports and the weather, I just have a hard time engaging for a long period of time. Uh, but uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, person. I, I love meeting the staff here. And I, I think you already know this, but I, I want to I just state it publicly. You know, for years we've operated under the mentality here that our job as youth workers is to come alongside of you. It is not to replace you. In fact, the analogy that we've used for years with staff members here is we say this, um, you do realize that we're just a stamp. It's your envelope. It's your contents that you've poured into your children. Um, and what our job is oftentimes is when we know when kids hit those teenage years, it's that natural process of independence as they begin to separate from mom and dad. That's the way God's made it from the beginning of time. We want that separation to happen. We are trying to navigate. Some do that more maturely. Some do that with less maturity, but we want it to happen. And so our job is to come alongside, and, and, and they get a chance to look at another adult, and we just say, you know what? What your parents have been saying is just dead on right. Most of the time, we don't use those words. Most of the time, we say it a little different way, um, but we just get it to be a stamp that goes on the envelope. Boom. We just get to validate what it is that you're saying um, at home. And it's our joy and our privilege to come alongside you and, and do that. And I know that's uh, her heart and others heart as well. So, all right. Teenage sexuality. Uh, I, I want to share with you that I am excited about where we are going. Um, it does seem that we are trending towards a good direction here and have been trending that direction for quite some time. Again, the numbers since 1988 have been in decline uh, there in terms of uh, teen pregnancies, et cetera, when you're talking about the percentage of the population. I do want to share with you, though, real quickly, um, the most disturbing trend for me, um, and it is truly the only time that I've been knocked back on my can when I'm looking at statistics. I've been putting together statistics for elders and groups and stuff for many, many years now, and so I stay on top of this stuff. But the only one that caused me concern that I stepped back is when I said, the trend that goes upward, again, the numbers total go down. Percentage of students are going down. But the one that is going up, and it's going up at a, at a fairly uh, rapid rate, um, is sexual activity amongst middle school students. Um, and I wish I had some good news for you in this one. It's the only time that I've, I've read the numbers, and, and I went, whoa, and stepped back and said, um, this is a significant, um, disturbing uh, trend here. And uh, in 2006, the Gwinnett County came out. They do a, a, a massive research project every five years in which they bring out uh, survey results. They uh, surveyed over 32,000 students in this, and the numbers for here were astronomical in terms of the increase in activity amongst middle school students. Um, there is some now connection that has been made. In fact, this article came out. This was in uh, Time magazine in uh, 2008. 
Um, this will come as no surprise to you. Just know that we now have the data that supports the, the theory that we've had for years. I'll just read it. Sex on TV has come a long way in the past few years, um, and it talks about this um, uh, deal here. Um, the question that has been debated by parents, psychologists, and media critics for years is whether such racy content has an adverse effect on young believers. Now researchers at the Randy Course, uh, say, Corporation have say that they have documented for the first time how such exposure does indeed influence teen pregnancy rates, and it does indeed um, influence their relationships with one another. All right, so if you want this for information later on, email me. I'll be glad to give this to you. We know that there now is, according to research, there is a correlation between what is viewed and, and what is experienced. We know that there's a correlation between that now. Now, again, does that take any of us by surprise here? Of course not. We would all say that because it just makes sense, does it? Do you remember when you went through a class and you learned how to walk? No, you learned how to walk based on what you saw. Does anybody here remember their English class growing up? Maybe if someone in here does not have English as their first language, you might. But, um, but, but you, no, you, you learned by what you heard. It should come as no shock or no surprise to us that what it is that we expose ourselves to on a regular basis, um, we will indeed be influenced by. Pat Sajak, Wheel of Fortune. Is, uh, gets hammered all the time by my more liberal friends. Um, it, I am not aware of him being necessarily a religious man. He may or may not be. I, I can't comment on it. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that years ago, he made a comment that he uh, uh, took a lot of heat for when he said, it is ludicrous for Hollywood to think that they only have the opportunity to influence for good and not for bad. So take all this credit for all this money that's raised and this awareness that's raised and all the good that we're going to do for this culture. And then we say, no, nope, we had nothing to do with the negative consequences of what we produced and put out there. Okay, comes as no surprise to us. We know this to be the case um, in here. There's going to be um, an influence in, in there. Um, I bring up this right here, and I bring up this issue with uh, medical school students because I, I want to walk you through um, what I have been saying for years to students. Every time that I would have a discipleship group of guys, this would be the same stuff that we would walk through. I've shared this with students in large groups from time to time. I've shared it with parents in other places. Um, I'm not going to give you any new information right here that you probably don't already know, but I would love to just point your mind towards it again. The whole goal that I'm talking about right now is to help you interact, dialogue, talk with, discuss sexuality with your students. If you choose not to do that, you are handing the influence to someone else. Is that really what you want? I'll share with you about how my father did that um, a little bit later on, but uh, just a couple things overall um, about sex. According to God, sex is a God thing. You know that to be true. It was his idea. He was the one who came up with this whole male and female thing. He was the one that came up with this idea of the two becoming one. It was his idea for procreation. And I think what God had in mind here is not just simply um, uh, procreation. I think that he had in mind here a lot bigger picture for sex itself. When was the last time that you had a conversation with your child in regards, in regards to the goodness and the greatness and the magnificence and the godness of sex? You know, God is not at all afraid to talk about this subject with his people. He talks about it all the time, all throughout the scriptures. Now, we won't walk through it, but uh, you know this uh, to be true. 
uh, the book of Solomon is so racy that, that the, the Hebrew boys could not even read it or hear it read until a certain age. And God is putting it in his inspired word. He's putting it on display here, and, and he's, he's giving it to his children to say, hey, this is my idea, and I want you to learn. Sex is a God thing. Reproduction and pleasure is his idea. Can I point you to the, the bigger idea, though, that I think that's behind this? I think that he's given us a visual image here. Yes, there's a practical manner. God put two people on the earth. He said, populate it, um, uh, sub subdue the earth. Um, he, he, there's a practical manner of we, we need to, to populate the earth. But I think ultimately what he's really after is this, spiritual reproduction. He's trying to give us the greater picture. It's a great picture for physical reproduction. I'm, I'm, I'm not tossing that aside at all. But I think really what he's after here is this. I'm after spiritual reproduction. I want you to reproduce what it is that you have into someone else. Wouldn't it be great to point students to this? And this is going to lead me to the second one. Why do you think you have such a desire for sex? Because God's trying to point you to an even bigger picture. Sex is a God thing. Second thing, though, which I just alluded to, desire is a God thing. Desire for sex even points us to the Godhead himself. This is always a great moment for high school guys when they get an aha moment when I'm able to talk with them. The, the, the male body in his sexual prime, which is age 18 to 28, produces 3 million sperm a day. How many eggs is it that the woman produces? One per month, right? Three million a day, one per month. Who is going to have the stronger drive for reproduction? If you've been married for five minutes, you know who has the stronger drive in your relationship. Now, I was not here last week. I know that, uh, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago, Dr. Uh, Seitzma came in. I'm, I'm told it was fantastic and it was, uh, it was great. And uh, um, does it not make sense, though, that the male has the stronger drive, typically speaking? Not always, and I want to say something about that in just a second, but, but is it, it should come as no surprise. Who has the stronger drive to be intimate with who? Is it Christ with his bride or is it the bride with Christ? Whose drive outdrives who? It should come as no surprise to us whatsoever. The reason that you have this yearning, the reason God created you as a sexual creature with desire that's from him, it's good, it's right, is because God's trying to point us to something bigger. It is so freeing for teenage boys to hear you desire it because that's exactly the way God designed you. It is even more freeing for a teenage girl to hear. You desire it because God designed you to desire it. I'm telling you over the years with my wife present or with another woman present, the, the conversations that I've had with high school girls as they've sat in my office and they, the, just the shame that overcomes them because of their, their strong desire and their yearning. For me to say, 
you're just reflecting God. Please don't, please don't miss this point when you're talking with your, your child, your students and your subject, whatever it is. Please don't miss this. Desire is good. And what we should actually do is to thank God for the desire for it. We should regularly be saying, God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that I have this drive. I'm not excited about putting the brakes on it right now. I'm not excited about having to wait, but God, thanks so much that this yearning is inside of me. Thank you for your drive and your desire to walk with me. Sex is a God thing. Desire is a God thing. The third point, though, the fall is a real thing. What happened in the garden um, is a very real issue, and it affects every single aspect of our lives. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were there, and they were operating um, um, fully in the way that God intended them to operate and function there. You remember in the scriptures that they were there, and, and they were naked, and they felt no shame whatsoever from that and so the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot about what happened or how long it was before there was the fall. Um, I get the impression it was not that long. I don't get the impression that it was years that went by. Um, whether it was weeks or days or minutes, I don't know. Um, I, there was evidently some amount of time, though, between God giving them the instruction and then them having the fall. What happened at the fall, though, is almost um, impossible to overstate. Because what happened at the fall was everything got distorted and everything got fuzzy. Now, when we say distorted, there's an image that I don't want you to get in your minds. If I were to walk up here with a mirror and we were to have uh, this mirror that would reflect perfectly what it is that we could see, there's two ways that we could distort this image or two things that we could do to, to illustrate the fall. One, we could shatter this thing completely, and then there would be nothing left, and so you'd be looking through here and going to the stage. That's, that's not what happened at the fall. What happened at the fall was not that all of this was destroyed in such a manner that we don't see anything of God anymore. So it's not that you look now at a Christian and you get to see some of the reflection of God. You look at humanity and you get to see the reflection of God. It, whether or not someone is an atheist or an agnostic or whatever religion they choose, every person who has ever lived will reflect God in some manner. The fall didn't destroy it completely. It, it, it distorted it. So the better way for us to look at it is this. It, it, it is like walking into the fair or a carnival where you have those, those weirdo mirrors that are kind of cool to walk up to. And you, know, you can walk and you can back up a little bit and, and your, your face will get like this long or your back. Or you can do that with your Mac computer now, actually. If you have your Mac computer and you can get all these images and your face will be like here and, and abroad and it's really kind of fun to put on your Facebook profile status. That's what happened at the fall is that we see that it's there. We see that it is somewhat like the image, but it's just distorted. And here's what happens to us. We see sexuality in a completely distorted lens now. Now, now here's, the, here's the thing that you and I have got to embrace. I still, at this moment right now, see it in a distorted manner. As a believer in Christ. One who is getting the picture cleared up more and more as time goes on, but I will go to my grave with, with still having somewhat of a distorted image about who I am, who my bride is, what this whole thing of sexuality is. It's, it's distorted. 
If it's distorted for a 41-year-old pastor who is growing, how distorted is it for a 15-year-old? They need your help. They need your input. They need your guidance. They need your discussion. They need you to help them see it the way that God intended it to be. It's, it's, in some ways, it's like you and I going back and stretching out that mirror. It's actually not us doing it. It's God that does just stretches that mirror to get it back to where it's perfect. And, and, and I don't know what heaven is going to look like. I, I don't understand. I don't even know if there will be sexuality. I don't know. There might be. There might not. I don't know what's going to be like in heaven. But I know the entire lives that you and I have right now, are, we should be spending, especially in these years, these teenage years, helping to stretch it out, saying, let me tell you what God has to say about it. Students know what they're not supposed to do. They do not know what they are supposed to do. And if the only message that they're hearing is just simply this, just bottle it up. Just don't think about it. Just get away, man. Don't desire that if they... If they hear that enough over and over again, they're going to quit. And quit will mean something different for different people, but the fall is a, is a real thing. Uh, one more quick point, and, uh, and then I want us to look at some Scripture. This one is not just true for teenagers. Uh, this one is true for you and I as well. It'll only require a little bit of, of explanation, but the most dangerous sex life is a secret sex life. Please hear this. The most dangerous sex life is a secret sex life. This is what I tell guys all the time. You have got to bring other people into this. And the best person, guys, for you to bring in on this equation is dad. Because trust me, dad's going to get it. He's going to understand. And you guys may have never talked about this in the past, but if you were to walk up to dad and say, dad, let me tell you, I am just struggling. This phone that I've got, this iPhone, this magnificent piece of equipment and, and electronics, all that stuff that's put together, this is killing me, dad. Because right now I cannot seem to get away from just pulling up whatever image I want. God, dad, this is killing me. Trust me when I tell you this. This is what I'm telling the guys. Trust me, dad's going to get it. He's going to understand. He's going to say, son, I, I understand. And he's going to enter into a discussion with you and a dialogue with you. And it's going to go way better than you can imagine. And when enough time goes on and a guy is not choosing to talk to dad, do you know what we do as a staff oftentimes? If, um, oftentimes, not every time, oftentimes we'll say, all right, man, hey, this has gone on long enough. And so, uh, you got three days. You got three days to talk to dad. And if you don't talk to him, I'm going to go talk to him. And we can do that together or I can do that without you. But you are, you're getting creamed here, bro. You, you've got to talk to him. The most dangerous sex life is a secret sex life. If you as a parent choose to do this with what your child is involved in, there's nothing more dangerous you could do for your child. Because you are talking about a child 
someone who has a distorted view, who's just beginning this whole journey, who's just now having all of this desire start rise up within them, and they're trying to figure this thing out as they go, and they're in a culture at large that has no problem putting it on display. They're in a culture at large that has no issue with putting images in front of them every single day of their life, presenting it in such a manner as to say, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, which it is within the right context. And I could give you more statistics and tell you that those who are engaged in sexual activity are far more likely to be involved in drugs and alcohol and depression, et cetera. I can give you all that. It's not all it's cracked up to be for students who are not yet ready to unleash this desire with the person that God has called them to give. When you have this person who's just on this journey and they're trying to figure out and they have nowhere to go and nowhere to talk to, it is a dangerous, dangerous thing, man. And the devil loves it when it's in secret. It is his playing ground. He loves the fact that there's no one out there. He loves it when a student feels like they're the only ones who are like this, when all the shame, the guilt, et cetera, is, is, is shoved upon him, and he just comes up and whispers in there, are you, you really a Christian? Christians don't want this. Christians don't do this. And then they're looking around. They're not hearing others talk about it, and so they say, you know what? I guess that's right. Maybe I'm not a Christian. When Jesus says, oh, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, it's been a prayer of mine for years and years and years that God would bring to light that which is hidden in the darkness. Please pray that for your kids. This is all, it's just always so much fun for me when a, a guy comes to me and says, it's awful. Now, Dad caught me. He got this report or, you know, he didn't even know that Dad had these little filters put into place for the computer or whatever. And then he comes, dad comes to him and says, son, tell me about what it is you've been viewing. And then the guy's just like with his head held down. He goes, it was awful, man. And dad, and, uh, or, or it's even worse when mom, you know, finds out. It's, it, all that. And I'm just going, hey, God. Because it means that God cares too much about this kid to let him get away with it in the dark. It means God's bringing it to light. I tell that to guys. God cares too much about you, man, to let you go on with this for years without anyone finding out. Sex is a God thing. Desire is a God thing. The fall is a real thing. And the most dangerous sex life is a secret sex life. Now, real quickly, we got plenty of time. Good. What does the Bible tell us to do here? What is it that I've been sharing with guys I would love for you to consider whether or not you would want to share this with your student or not? Don't say it because I say it. Um, um, if, if this doesn't jive with your family, then, then you go a different route. But, um, but I want to just walk you through this real quick. Ephesians chapter 5. This will not be um, uh, an in-depth look, but there are a couple of things that I want to point out to you. Ephesians 5, as you know, is going to give us the roles for a husband and wife. And one of the things that we always try to do in student ministries is to help kids understand you're not in a marriage. If you're in a committed dating relationship, which is a, a, a farce, there's no such thing as a committed dating relationship in there. A committed dating relationship means I'm going to be committed until I find someone else that looks better and is more funny. That's not commitment. I mean, it's a dating relationship, and you may think that you're being committed to the other person during this process, but you're really not. You're keeping your options open. The only thing that's commitment is a marriage, and what you're saying, I'm going to, I'm going to enter into this, and I'm going to be faithful you know, there. So um, it's, it's always fun to poke fun at students um, um, and doing that. Um, and I'm at the age now where I don't care if they 
think it's not funny or not. I'll just do it anyway. All right, but um, this being the case, I do want you to see something that is true in here. And uh, some of you may disagree with this. That's okay. Um, I, I am convinced of this, right? Ephesians 5 gives us the roles, and I want to just pick up reading real quickly in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, here's what I think that he's getting at. Christ does a work, and I won't walk you through all of the Greek here and all this. What I will say is this. It is clearly in my mind referring to the fact that Christ does a work that only Christ can do when it comes to sanctifying his bride, making her cleanse, washing her with his blood. Um, He is setting her apart. He is doing a work that only he can do. This is not a work that any average husband can do for his wife. It's a spiritual thing. We get that, right? But what is it ultimately pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that the moral responsibility to maintain the purity of the relationship rests with the husband. It is the husband's responsibility to make sure that this relationship is a pure relationship. Now, in premarital counseling, I walk this through with, uh, with, with couples, and, um, and, and it, it is clockwork. This happens every single time. All of them say, well... It's really her job to put on the brakes. Really? Is it really her job to put on the brakes, bro? Or does what the Bible say that it's your job? A man named Paul Koistra. Many of you would know his name. He's a guy that's been associated for many, many years with the PCA. He Uh, was the head of uh, MTW. He was president of Covenant uh, Theological Seminary for a while. His brother actually is in church here with us. Uh, He and I were speaking at a conference together. And (laughs) it was so entertaining because, you know, they have one guy that comes in and does all the biblical exegesis, whatever, for this conference. The other guy does kind of the more the inspirational storytelling kind of thing. So clearly I was the expositional. (laughs) No, just kidding. This guy's remarkable. I'm just like notes, you know, all the way through. Uh, we're at this conference together, and he made this statement that was so profound, I will never forget it. I've been sharing it with guys for, for years since then. When he began dating his wife, she died not too terribly long ago from cancer, and, uh, and he ended up uh, remarrying. But this particular woman, Jan, wonderful, godly woman, when they were dating, he knew, he was convicted, according to Ephesians, that it was his responsibility to maintain the purity of the relationship. He said, it's my job to protect you, and that means to protect you. In me. Are you training your boys that it's their job to man up and to protect this young girl? Here's what I want to share with you. Years watching students in ministry, guys love this challenge. Because as long as we treat high school boys like they're just a dog, well, they can't control themselves. I mean, you know, that's just the way guys are. It's just the way men are built. It's just, you know, they can't do anything about it. I mean, we really got to make sure that the girls are the ones. That are doing. As long as we treat guys like dogs, they're going to act like dogs. What I'm saying is let's treat them like men, and let's challenge them. 
And let's say, dude, do you understand according to the scriptures that God has given you a unique role and responsibility? Every guy has this yearning inside of him. I buy into what Eldridge says. Every guy has this yearning to rescue the damsel in distress. We want that. We got the beauty to rescue. And, and, and there's something in guys when we challenge them to say, dude, it's, it's your responsibility. I'm not saying that they succeed all the time. I'm saying there's something about this chance. They go, yeah, it feels right to them. Can I make, and this may be a little bit more controversial. If I'm understanding the scriptures correctly, it sure seems to me that the way God wired and designed women is that a woman's body always follows her heart. It is just a matter of time. And I don't care how godly they are. Women by nature are better servants than men. You know that. Women do, as a general rule of thumb, are um, more quickly come to the place where they're ready to make sacrifices for the people that they love. And this is true in the physical sense. Up in that little lunch area, last time I was able to do one of these guys and girls only deal, I'm meeting with the guys, and, and I'm, I'm walking the guys through, and I'm saying, hey, it's clockwork, I'm telling you. Um... If you woo a girl's heart, it's just a matter of time. Her body will follow. And I can't repeat what I said next to the guys after that, but basically I said, if you use this information and you are intentional about trying to go after and, and, and get what it is you want from a girl, um, my job as a pastor in this church, as a shepherd over these girls, is to protect. And, and I will protect them. I will come after you. What is it guys are to do? Better rise up and protect this girl from me. Now, what is it also that a guy can do? I don't have it up there on the scriptures, but I want to just read it to you because it's just so short. But 1 Timothy 5, listen to this. Paul, writing to a younger guy in ministry. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. This is always the most fun to tell guys. And those guys that have sisters, it's even more fun because of the, the reactions guys say, guys, here's what the scriptures say that you can do with your girlfriend. You can do anything that you would do with your sister. <laughs> and the guys are always like, dude, come on. See, what we try to do, and, we, we, and students do this, um, again, they're at an age in which this, this desire is rising up. They're trying to figure out who they are, what they do with this, et cetera. That they don't, lack, they don't have the maturity that you and I have yet. They lack the wisdom. And so let's say that there's a line right here that we know we can't have sex because this is wrong. God has said don't do it. But wait a minute. This line right here, we'll, 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 how, how close can I get right here? This is what we do, students. 
It's what we do in the business world, isn't it? And it's what we do as, as adults oftentimes in our world too. How close can I get to sinning without actually sinning? And what I want to tell high school guys is, dude, here's the thing. You just treat her like a sister. And guys oftentimes are not trying to do this anymore when they finally see it, when they get it. And I'm not saying that just because they hear the words from me that there's this aha moment and they say, well, hallelujah, I'm just going to treat all girls like they're... That's not what happens. What happens when it finally sinks in, though, they're not concerned about doing this anymore. When they get the challenge, it's your job to protect her. This is your sister, man. If you were taking your sister out on a date, how would you want to treat her? How would you want your friend to treat your sister, Jack? Guys aren't doing this. They're going. One more passage. 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to know that probably for the last 15 years, every time I hear about a couple that is dating, I immediately begin praying that they will break up. I, immediately. Not because I don't like them. Not because I don't want them to have fun. In fact, it's the opposite. I want there to be more dating. I want more students in our ministry to date. I just don't want them to get exclusive and to get into this pseudo-marriage kind of a thing that just clouds all the issue, and then they, they take ownership of one another, and they now think that they have rights to one another, and, and you can't talk to that boy. Well, good grief. Like you can't have friends, really? I mean, would you want your husband or, or wife to tell you that? No, you, you can't have friends. I'm the only person that you can interact with. Just me and the kids, that's it. I mean, okay, that, it's ludicrous. Right? That's what happens in these dating relationships with students. And so I immediately begin praying that they're going to break up and that they would get involved in a broader spectrum of relationships and have a much more healthy view as to how it is that we interact with the opposite sex. It's all, it can all be very great in there, right? I'm sorry, I just got sidetracked there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, though, I want to begin um, in 25 because this is what I think um, uh, I would love for students to get to this point to understand. Whole chapter, by the way, devoted to, to talking about marriage issues, divorce, et cetera, things like that. Now, about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who will marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul is not saying marriage is bad. Being single is good. Because all this junk happens when you have to get married. And I'm just trying to spare you from all the junk, bro. That's not what he's saying in here. What he's saying is, don't be so discontent with your present circumstances that you're going to go out of your way to try to get out of those circumstances and into some different ones. What he's saying is, if your marriage is miserable, don't be so quick to try to get out of it. And if you are presently single... And you're longing to be married. Don't be so quick to try to get out of this. Meaning, don't just marry anybody. 
Because there's a whole set of issues that are going to arise in marriage that you're not going to have as a single person. Again, if you've been married for all of three minutes, you know this to be true. When I was single, and I was here um, at Perimeter, my first go-around at Perimeter doing an internship. We were back over in the warehouse um, back in those days. And uh, my mentor, Matt Brinkley, had us make sure that we put together a schedule and a calendar, and we had to to work through, you know, uh, developing a certain amount of hours. And so we're trying to target a 50-hour work week. We're saying 40 hours would be the normal work week, 10 hours of what we're asking other folks to, to volunteer. So we at Perimeter, as a staff, want to search and seek for a 50-hour work week. And so we have to turn our schedule I'm filling out my schedule. I'm going, okay, I'm the laziest human being that has ever lived. And I didn't think, you know, work ethic had not been a problem in the past. I mean, I, you know, I had jobs. I, I thought, golly, what is wrong with me? So I go to him and I say, man, I'm having a hard time getting 30 hours. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm trying, man. I don't know what my deal is, but, I, you know, here it is. And so I went and he looked at it and he looks at it real quick. He said, well, David, I know you, you go to school lunches. Now, that's not on here. I'm like, oh, that's work? David, where's the time that you're spending at the football practices? I know you're at two practices per week. Yeah. Well, David, didn't you go to the to the movies the other night with some students? Yeah. I, those, those are work hours? Oh, cool. So what happened was it was the polar opposite as we began to fill in the work schedule. I was thinking it was stuff like at the office, you know, where you had to, to like work on a computer and stuff, which I had not done up to that point in my life. This was 1994. I'm here and I, I, you know, Windows. I didn't even know what that was, you know, there. So I was thinking it had to be stuff like that that was doing. And then it came out, um, I was pushing more closer towards 80 hours than I was towards 50. And so then it said, hey, David, you're going to have to rein this in because when you get married, this is going to be an issue. You know, you can't act like this. Um, here's what I know. When I was single, I had so much more ministry. Now that I'm married, I am so much more efficient. I am such a better pastor now than I was then. My wife has brought so much to the table that has the two of us together have become uh, much better. But she has just affected me in, in such a manner that I'm better now. But there's no mistaking it. I got more ministry done when I was single. Here's what Paul is trying to draw our minds to. If you're single, you have a unique opportunity. Your child who is in middle school and in high school is in one of the most unique and strategic periods that they will ever be in for their lives. More students will come to faith before age 19 than anybody will post-19. The greatest minister to students is students. And if your child can catch the vision of saying, God can use you so uniquely now for his kingdom, for the gospel's sake. Don't get so tied up in trying to find this other boyfriend or girlfriend because what's going to happen is when you begin dating seriously, when you begin to get into this relationship where you're just consumed with one another, it is going to cloud the issue and I can, this I can walk you through statistically. There's no question if a couple, a Christian couple is dating more than six months, we make the assumption they are sexually active with one another. I don't care how godly they are. 
if you can chase after ministry, there's no telling what God would do in your life. I want to close it out real quick with with this. Look down at uh, verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short, and from now on those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they are not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if it not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form um, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. Paul is saying um, that the time is short. And, and, and you, right now you may be thinking, what is this digression you've gone on, Dave? Where are you ending? Because I thought we were talking about teenage sexuality. And this is what I'm saying. Yes, talk with your child about it. All the things that we just discussed earlier, those things. Absolutely, that's true. But I think the antidote towards a life of promiscuity for a child who has grown up in the church, I can't place this on those who are not involved in the church and would not consider themselves to be followers of Christ. I think the best thing for a student to say no to a life in which they are getting in over their heads in sexual involvement is not to not do X, Y, and Z. The best thing is to be proactive. And the best thing is to view a world who is lost and dying and hurt and in desperate need of a Savior. Paul is saying the time is short, man. And what I tell students is, you got four years in high school, which is the most strategic time for every human in which they can come to faith. Don't waste it. I want to challenge them to go after a lost world. And in them walking with God, praying with God, seeking after a lost world, them praying for folks, that right there will take much of their attention. And their dating life will take care of itself. Let me close with this. Um, Moms, please talk with your daughters. Dads, please talk with your sons. It was fantastic for me growing up to hear my mom talk about sexuality. Now, there was nothing there that um, you and I would say now, whoo, that may have crossed a line there. Um, there were some very clear boundaries that were um, there that were discussed, but um, we got to hear my, I'm one of three boys, I got to hear my mom um, talk about it in a positive light. It was a great thing. It wasn't until later on in life I found out there's some issues there for her, um, specifically because of her um, um, background, and then also because of her, um, her physical body. There's some, um, some issues. I won't walk through that, but um, it made me respect her even more when I, later in life when I found out um, some things about her. Here's what my dad would do. My dad grew up in uh, poverty. Um, he grew up with a father with a block mason and a farmer, and uh, my dad had a, a very unique way of phrasing things out there. And so... <laughs> Um, we got to hear some very funny expressions from him growing up. But my dad um, would, from time to time, come home, and he would tell me a story. It was his initiation. It was him pursuing me. We would go out on a walk. He would do this with my other brothers as well. We would drive in a car. We would do whatever. And my dad would say something like this. My dad's a, a PCA pastor, by the way. My dad would say, 
son, I just wanted to tell you um, I had a rough night two nights ago. I was in a counseling situation with this husband and this wife, and they were struggling through some issues, and, and, uh, and I had not been praying much for a couple of days previous to this. I had not had a quiet time in two days, and so I wasn't really walking with the Lord. And, and on my way home, um, I just began lusting after, and he would never give a name of a specific person, but he'd say, after this real woman. It wasn't a figment of his imagination, in other words. And it has just been, it's been very difficult. And for the last couple of days, I've just felt so guilty and ashamed. And um, I've asked the Lord for forgiveness. I know he's forgiven me. Um, but I wanted to confess it to you. I've sinned against your mother. And I've sinned against you guys. My dad would pursue me. And he would share with me. And that is just one example. It was across the board things that I would find out. Do you know where I learned about sex? Mom and dad. Are you talking with them? Trust me. They want to hear what you have to say. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again that um, all of this is your idea. We really do. Um, we believe it, um, but Lord, we're so slow to believe it because we're just fallen. And so God, I, help, I pray that you would help all of us uh, to become proactive in uh, pursuing the hearts of our, of our children um, as we talk about that which is so close to their hearts right now. God, Please give them direction, give them guidance, give them wisdom. Speak through your word. I pray that you would make the students that are represented right here in this room, I pray that you would make them students of your word, that they would hide it within their hearts, that they might sin against thee, that they would meditate on it day and night, that you would make them prosperous and successful as a result of it. But, oh, God, would you pour out your spirit on us as parents, that we would have the boldness and the freedom to come and to talk appropriately with our kids about it. Lord, help. We love you. We ask all of this for the glory of your son, Jesus, and for the prosperity of your church. Call us in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.